And welcome to yet another rousing round of the Dicer Screaming Podcast. Oh, oh real hard one. Yeah, hey, welcome, and it's Tuesday. It is Topic and, Tuesday. Yeah, you hear what? Do you, do you not hear the whiff of formality? No. <laughs> oh. Can you hear a whiff? I, no. Completely facetious. I'm not going to touch that one. Okay. I'm going to leave that alone. Yep, just thought that one's lay right there. Well, you can expect no less from the gaming podcast that sends intellect devourers fleeing in some other direction looking for a better meal. Yeah, because if it's intellect, you come to the wrong darn place. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Nothing to be found here. Nope. Nothing. Uh, <laughs> the gaming podcast that makes thought eaters barf. No. <laughs> True that. Oh, yeah. And speaking of barfing, well, we got a heck of a show lined up for you tonight, folks. Jeez. Uh... Yeah, I, we're going kimono-less. That's, yeah. that's all we're going to say right I, now. No, I, I, you, you need not fear the kimono. Uh, I have, but I will be donning the Nehru jacket. Uh, there will be a cat in my lap. And I will be plotting and scheming evilly. Yes, Dr. Evil. Mm. I will be wearing the Nehru jacket. <laughs> uh, and explaining my evil master plan. Before you die. Always a terrible mistake to make as a villain. Never explain the master plan. Especially around James Bond. Just, just put two rounds in their head and walk away. That, that would have that worked out so much better. But that's not the style. You, you missed the whole point. So, that's the flair! Yep. <laughs> I want sharks with lasers. <laughs> and you bring me angry sea bass. Yeah, well... It's the best you could do on this budget. Anyway, yeah, so we are going kimono-less, and so we'll just leave it at that. But nonetheless, uh, we have some call-ins. It's Jason calling in, and he's touching base with our previous uh, podcast about some of the things about... Yep, and also some of the things he's up to, as well as uh, touching back with the Wizards of the Coast. Oh, yes. And uh, Tunnels and Trolls changing some stuff, so... We'll get into that, so take it away, Jason. Hey guys, Jason here. Happy two years. That's very, very cool. I'm happy to to still be listening to you and look forward to listening to many more. Um, I, I know you, you, you didn't misrepresent what I said. I just want to make it clear. I've got no issue. I think it's smart to change the spell name in Tunnels and Trolls. I just think it's kind of crappy to not have some kind of note or change the copyright date or do something. So if somebody buys the PDF for the first time today, they would never know that wasn't the spell name. I think that's kind of crappy. But I'm I'm 100% with changing the name. I you know it's like D and D. I think they need to change race. I think that's a dumb thing to call it these days. Anyhow, um, let's see. Oh, I'm gonna leave you another message. Okay, off the wall games. Yeah, man. I, funny you mentioned recon. I'm actually running right now. I'm running a recon game, and I'm running a it, I'm, it's actually I'm doing a weird war Vietnam game. I'm using a scenario from a different game, but converting it to recon and running with the straight recon rules. I think it's going pretty pretty good so far. They're you know they're pretty simple rules. Um, I'm also running a Boot Hill Second Edition game, so um, I'm doing all kinds of off the wall, oddball games these days. As far as uh, all Dune all the time podcast, I don't know if I want all the time. I definitely listen to a two hour episode where you talk about the books. My understanding is to stick with the first six books and to uh, not read the books the Sun wrote, but just to stick with the ones that Frank Herbert wrote. 
and maybe the the encyclopedia or whatever it was that he you know blessed off on but yeah anyhow talk to you soon take care all right and yeah thanks for calling in jason yeah um no i i think we pretty were pretty well uh versed on that that uh we said that uh you weren't uh, complaining about that in any way shape or form no oh yeah in fact i'm actually right there with you i, I think uh you know my my preferences would parallel your own on that because i i think the best compromise would have been to have a uh footnote you know an asterisk and a footnote to catalog what has been changed for every change you know i, I think that would have been uh a little more forward and candid of them than a, you know, complete re-edit uh, on something that is nominally supposed to be the original material. So, yeah, I, I, I think there's right a, in the same place. I think there's a lesson to be learned there, but uh, much like a lot of people, I think that it uh, it helps to have. Um, footnotes so that you can go back and point out to like you know we may have not uh, been as very sensitive back in the early uh, part of the gaming the dawn of the gaming industry as we were later on and that helps show that you know there is a, a forward progression uh, especially when it comes to nipping in the bud some of the yapping that goes on with people saying oh, I don't want politics in my gaming well okay you know, there's, I guess there's a certain amount of stuff on that I might... Uh, I mean, there's a cave in the Himalayas that'll make you safe from uh, from everything. I mean, you know. Sure. And, you know. But, if but the rest of us out here run into stuff all the time. You, you change you things for the right reasons, and I think that was one that needed to be changed, much like uh, Race to Ancestry, like Pathfinder did. But... Yeah, that was another note about D&D, which was, you know, I, I, I heard your comment there, and, you know, I'm inclined to agree. They found a perfect middle ground... You know, there are some things that it's time to change them. Uh, yeah, it's not going to stop you from playing a dwarf fighter. I mean, come on. Yeah. You're not... Yeah, this is not a radical content alteration. This is like a slight, a very mild shift of terminology. Uh, not really a huge impasse for me. I'm yeah. into it. Yeah. It's not uh, not something we can get hang up on. But yeah, congratulations on... Uh, oh. it. Playing some Recon and some Boot Hill, yeah, so that's Especially right Especially the Boot Hill, I am so jealous. I just literally, you know, it, it, when I heard that part of the message, I was like, oh man, I, I, I want to get shotgunned again. <laughs> uh, you know, I lost three characters to shotgun slay in, mm. in the old Boot Hill module. Taming a brimstone. Yeah, that still worth it. 100% worth it, no regrets. Shotgun slay that bastard. <laughs> Yeah, why don't you just come outside with two sawed-off shotguns filled full of silver dollars crying your eyes out to mama, you coward. Ugh. Yeah, no aiming necessary. Just fill the streets with lead. Yeah, okay. Oh, and he did. Oh. <laughs> and, incidentally, most of our characters. That cowardly varmint rests in Boot Hill, rightfully so. <laughs> oh, great game. May his uh, spirit find no rest in this or the next life. That's potentially fatal in its own right as, uh, you know, early call of I know. Yeah. Uh, great fun. Uh, that's happy memories. Congrats to you, man. I'm very happy that you're getting some serious retro gaming in. Yeah, so, um, 
I mean, thanks for the call-ins, folks. Uh, keep them coming. Um, yeah, our last podcast was kind of self-indulgent, but that's, yeah. that's the way it is. That uh, was a Lazy Friday 200th celebration, us just kick back, you know, talk about ideas and, you know, where are we going to go, what are we going to do next, you know, what what's on the docket. Yeah, so we also had a couple new follows, so uh, thank you to those. Um, oh, bravo. Yeah, so uh, things coming up there. So let us know what you think. And as always, keep hitting that uh, subscribe button. Take it out to its favorite restaurant. Buy it at a seafood dinner and leave it. <laughs> Just ditch it. That's what we. That's what we suggest. So in that vein, um, we're going. We are no longer sponsored, so no commercial breaks. But we are going to take a quick break and come right back with our topic. So stick around. So, uh, yeah. And we're back. So enough teasing around. Yeah, tonight's topic. It's Topic Tuesday, so we bring you a topic that's a whopper. Yeah, it's sex in D and D. Oh yes, uh, we've talked about this a lot with homage to Phil and Dixie. Oh yeah, <laughs> we'll um, explain that later. But yeah, I mean it's a big topic. Uh, it is a legit topic because honestly, it, it touches on every game at some point or another, uh, or at least you know these things brush up against one another. The that human oh. sexuality, how is it represented in game? You know, is it absolutely taboo, prohibited, forbidden? Uh, or is it tastefully alluded to? Or or is it right out there in front of everybody, like a huge portion of the game? Every table is different. So there's been a lot of contention over this over the years. Yeah, so and it's also not? our 169th episode, so the gods have spoken. 69! Yes. Yes, that is exactly why we are doing this right now. Because we're that immature. Yep, we are. And, and if you thought so- we weren't, <laughs> you have woefully overestimated us. <laughs> so we're going to say right up front, content warning, yeah. Um, we're not going to get graphic or sexually explicit, but if these topics... Oh, you might not. Well... <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, you know, true thing, we will tastefully allude to most subjects without actually going overboard. Right, but content warning, if this is something that triggers you or you're not comfortable with it, uh, yeah, this probably isn't the podcast for you. You can look at our, some of our other back ones or uh, look at uh, some of our future episodes. Yeah, too, look, look forward to the next episode, and, I mean, we'll catch up with you later. We'll still be around. Not yeah. every episode will be, you know, uh, delving close to hardcore material. So, Yep, so the kimonos go flying, and so... And the narrow jacket is on. <laughs> with Ascot? <laughs> mm. No, that doesn't go with a narrow jacket. Really? Yeah, that is not the about to dominate the world through blackmail uh, look that I'm going for. This narrow jacket is to be viewed with somberness and respect. Like, no, not really. What kind of evil organization do you think I'm running? One that wears an Ascot? That's oh. where I was at. But anyway... So here we are uh, talking about sex and D&D and how do you incorporate these themes into your game. And as Mike said earlier, yeah, it's an allusion to Phil and Dixie, so it was often kind of a running gag. That, you know, running back to the original Dragon magazine, uh, they had the Phil and Dixie comics by Phil Folio uh, in the back. And it was usually an entire page in fairly vivid color some of the time. Uh, oh, it was on. a... I think it was always a full color comic. 
Yeah, I mean, if I remember Phil Folio right, uh, the great majority of his work was, you know, beautifully colored. Uh, and they would regularly tease that any day now, you know, I can look forward to uh, next week, you know, sex and D&D, you know, so that, like, ooh, racy tidbits, ooh, what are they going to talk about? And then, of course, you know, they like Lucy and the football, they'd snatch it out of your grasp. Uh, and that running gag went on for quite a while. Uh, and then they did finally nominally touch on the subject. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was done very, very cutely. Uh, <laughs> and in homage to that, uh, you know, we have suggested that we would do this episode for quite a while. And, you know, it's finally time to just uh, pull back the veil and go ahead and do this. But not without a nod to Phil and Dixie in the back of Dragon Magazine uh, for being one of the, the first ones to just yeah. say what was already on everybody's minds in, in the room. Now, obviously, they couldn't cover all that much, but uh, <laughs> they could give a nod to the fact that it was a thing on people's minds, that they had questions about why are things like this. <laughs> uh, and so that's honestly good reason to do that here. Yeah, so um, having sex in your campaign, or more appropriately, eroticism or romance or sexual tension, that's something that as you game, that's probably going to arise, even if it's sometimes easy to spot from far away, um, like Red Sonia in the Chainmail Bikini. There's been a lot of puerile and purient interests in fantasy subculture and gaming as well for a long time. So it wasn't Probably with no surprise that some people objected to it and other people embraced it fully. So there's been different comfort levels that people approach it with. And the one thing that gets lost in the middle is, well, okay, beyond the obvious blatant sexism, what are you really looking at? And you're trying to avoid being exploitive, but you also don't want to rule out, like, where do half-elves come from? Or how do half-orcs arrive? Now, I'm going to just address one thing very clearly that... uh, yeah, half-orcs probably have sometimes a violent past, but the origin of a half-orc. But uh, the way that some people cling on to it, that's the only way that they're made. I do hearken to the new cartoon that's been making the rounds on the, the interwebs is with the, uh, the orc who, uh, ha- half-orc barbarian who has her parents, and she has to ask to uh, you know, go on an adventure. Her orc mother makes her bring a scarf and... You know, they have to ask permission because their parents are very nice and concerned people, you know, or a nice work lady and a really concerned, you know, retired barbarian, you know, and that's that's the only woman who would tolerate him was an orc. And I think that that is an interesting idea because everybody always assumed that, yes, my half orc was conceived through a violent past. And it's like, yeah, OK, that's great. But how many times does that happen? OK, every time. Well, then it leads to some really bad gaming questions and some content that doesn't make people feel very welcome. Uh, well, and like so many things, it, it takes one bad apple to spoil the whole barrel. Yeah. Um, if you get a sweaty palmed, chortling fetishist who really needs to hammer home, uh, you know, like a really repugnant origin story at every opportunity, and then spend a lot of time justifying it, at, while everybody else cringes in the background, you know, you're just like. Okay, we got you. You're like you. You had us on on page one. We didn't need, like, 
Nobody, I assure you, nobody at this table wanted 11 pages of purple prose about oh. your origin story and its awfulness. Uh, yeah, so, you know, you can obviously have the clear allusion to unfortunate circumstances and then just roll with it from there. Like, okay, doesn't need to be, we don't need all those blanks filled in. Unless you have a table full of players who are really down for the same thing. And in which case, hey man, that, that's that table. Let them, let their chips fall where those chips may. Exactly. And the point is, is that these characters arose from obvious and interest. And, you know, casting aside the one example we just gave, obviously characters or the uh, various uh, creatures and races inside your campaign world occasionally mingle and sometimes outside of their own boundaries and so thus you have the various um, mixed race and ancestries that arise from these couplings so how does this happen well okay a lot of times it happens off the screen or off camera it's not really needed to be known yeah fade to black yeah you know. but in essence it happens also in the campaign especially one where you play a long-lived character that progresses over just a over the course of just a few years in the campaign, but over a decade or three, depending on what or how often you play. So you will obviously have uh, children arising from pairings and couplings, as well as, well, the more random children that arise from just one-night stands and passionate get-togethers. Oh, yeah, I made such a big show uh, when I was younger of every time uh, the warrior I was playing you know, went to a new town. Uh, you know, he hit the red light district. Uh, and then, you know, several rolls on the disease table later, uh, I would often have to, you know, as instructed by the DM, consult the cleric for a curative. Uh, and then the secondary punishment came up in that, like, if we returned to a town after several years, uh, there were various questions of paternity. Yeah. Which he paid off on. Uh, but... The, the point being was that uh, rather than just being humorous, uh, I, I got to hand it to Randy. Uh, he did throw in some legitimate consequences for my, my character's theoretical misconduct. Theoretical. Uh, yeah, just as a reminder that like, okay, I mean, I'm not saying you can't do with your character what you want, but you should be aware. <laughs> that there are consequences. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Especially when the clerics started charging donations. Uh, yeah. It's really like after the second time, he was like, okay, no more freebies. Uh, you're paying for every one of these. You know, <laughs> do your penance. <laughs> Charitable uh. donations aside, uh, the um, DM's Guide had the uh, random harlot table. <laughs> and there are other such things like um, people were all often. Interested in certain pictures of the, the from the deities and demigods, especially the Greek mythos. Ah, uh, yes, and uh, the monster and uh, Aphrodite. Uh, the was it the nymph, in or was it the succubus that I'm thinking of? Well, the succubus is uh, well, in let's the monster say, manual. Uh, one of them had bare is, breasts. I think it was the Aranes, oh, but yeah. there's probably a couple other things. The sylph. Aries, but I guess we have to go get down spe specific. I guess the succubus could be pulled uh, 
put in there and as a category, but it's infamous in its own right. Yeah, these but, were black and white renderings in a textbook published in the 1970s. Uh, not exactly spectacularly lurid. However, uh, it was distressing to some people that this was a book that could be purchased <laughs> by teens. Now, you know, mind you, these are the same people who forgot that their, their high schooler goes to a building every day uh, where somewhere between, you know, 49 and 53% of the other human beings occupying the building have actual breasts. Uh, so that it totally escaped people's notice while they were incredibly fixated yep. on a couple of drawings of black and white, uh, you know, essentially uh, yeah, semi-naked so monsters. I object to this book because it has unclad women in it. What, just one? <laughs> yeah, I... It, Wow, you have set your bar low. <laughs> well, yeah, you know, so it's kind of in there. But the period interest aside, you grow up and you find out that, oh, yeah, that, that's a thing. And uh, you start coming to the terms that, okay, so how do you put this into a campaign? Because obviously NPC, their gender, whether it's non-specific or it's non-binary or, you know, just the uh, simple male or female there's a, going to be at some point an attraction between a character and NPC or a pair of characters. And, and how it may be one-sided, it may be mutual, it may be uh, contested by outsiders. Uh, you know, it, it could be a major opportunity for influence or it could be a uh, light-hearted side story. You know, it, it could be anything, but it's a tool in the storytelling toolbox. So the question, you know, I mean, that you rightly ask here is, you know, with something this useful and this universal, I mean, who would just totally discard it and go, oh, absolutely nothing of any of that kind at all? And that doesn't necessarily mean direct sexual references. It does mean that, you know, like romantic attachment to NPCs, uh, you know, repeated assignations with, uh, like, rather than like, oh, it's a tale of true love, it could just be a series of twists between two people both in positions where they cannot openly admit uh, their fondness for one another. Yes, and that's a very good point to bring up, is that besides just the romantic, there is the romantic tension, which is that you can't fall in love. Or, you know, more appropriately put, um, the Sam and Diane effect in Cheers which uh, Guardians of the Galaxy so well spelled out. <laughs> you know, the, it's... They both know that they're attracted to each other, but they try desperately not in to admit it and in every way try to rebuff one another and pretend they're not interested. Because once the romance is over, it's like a bullet fired, it, you can't pull it back. And Moonlighting. It's, yep. It's yeah. also, there's another good example, Two too. seasons of awesome. They hit season three, and the party was over. Yeah, once they have the romantic interest and it's fulfilled... It kind of loses its impact, so... Yeah, stops being edgy, which, you know, keeping the edginess there is a wonderful thing. Yeah, and so having an unrequited love can also be a moment of high dramatic tension that can be brought into a campaign outside of something other than they want to kill you or they don't want to kill you. Now, do they want to have make love to you or do they not want to make love to you? Or are they committed to you and wanting to have a fulfilling relationship or do they just want to pick your pocket? You know, <laughs> right? You know, it's uh, 
Yeah, and uh, worth mentioning that these things now in this uh, more modern age work well in every possible direction. Yeah. That, uh, you know, a, a DM should not have any shine. It's like, oh, well, you know, I will tr- totally characterize, you know, one type of relationship like this, but there's no way that the other could possibly exist. And, you know, not a terribly realistic attitude. Yeah, because I think that- with a lot of female players now, uh, you know, a majority of whom that I've met are heterosexual. Uh, you know, I've found that there's very little hostility to having, you know, overt uh, flirtation uh, as long as it's done tastefully at the table uh, from an NPC who is infatuated with them. Uh, whether it works out or winds up being, you know, comic relief for the moment, uh, you know, I found it to be a very useful element in game, you know, not not obviously as useful as a room full of really well thought out monsters, but it's one more tool in the toolbox. Fire giant and ninjas, you know, you know, and it's good and equal for everybody. Uh, Just has, saying, that's a thing that happens. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez, fire giant ninjas. Whew. Yeah, not subtle. Well, they are, but not in the way you think. Subtle like a car bomb. Mm. Volcanic eruption, maybe. Anyway, so yeah, suddenly it's, everything's calm, peaceful. Hot you think it's lava, going oh, red hot, hot lava. lava. You think everything's fine, going well, and then the next minute your spleen's been ejected from your body by a blade protruding from your chest and is now two die six times ten feet away from you. Oh. I need that. All right, well, go get it. I'll need that back. No, I, uh, Clark. I, I love that uh, we are no longer gaming at tables that are almost exclusively, you know, monochromatic and one gender and one uh, worldview. Yeah, it's just heteronormative. I, I know that this is going to come off sounding a little high-handed. But I think it actually challenges me more as a DM to have, like, out of six to eight players, at least at any given moment, two or three, that, like, the pitch, the interest to them has to be something different. Yeah. That the standard, the routine, the ordinary is not going to work with them. And it broadens the pool of things that you have to take into consideration as you draft Uh, the way an adventure or a long-term campaign is going to unfold. So I feel like I've gotten a lot out of it. It didn't take from the experience for me. No, and there's... But I'm on, like, that spectrum of... So, you know, I mean, that obviously makes it clear that it would have occurred to me some of those things anyway. Uh, But, you know, obviously I ran into a lot of people who aren't like me. And that's the big point, is that whether you run a campaign with, say, like a Princess Bride level, which I would put at PG level of romance. Oh, yeah, perfect. And all the way down to... Good uh, reference. You know, that's that's the perfect measuring stick, man. I got got a hand... Your COVID elbow. That is a good way to describe the Well, let me get to the the rest part, and then you can have me on the back. Well, you can go from that, which is I think is is the safe zone. I would call that a safe zone. Princess Bride. The the kid level version would be like we're we're Disney movie. Well, yeah, you don't even really go up to Princess Bride about it. You were like uh, you said earlier, 
there's a you go you'll get a kiss from the princess or something like that. Yeah. Um, to all the way to like some of the more lurid parts of uh, Bathford and the Grey Mousers, uh, Red Light District Adventures, or Conan's uh, Carousing. Of course, you know that's I think where my cutoff is is about the Howard level. Like there's some description and maybe there's some illusion, and then of course there is the mention of the tryst and the relationship that comes from it. But there's also the consequences of having long-term relationships with some people of low moral character, mostly women in his part, but also other men who were very envious or had other motives like stabbing in the back and taking all the treasure for themselves. Yeah, he, he definitely, in his work, Howard did not shy away from a little dash of purplish prose. Okay, not, yeah, the not a lot. People of the black circle, I think there's some lesbian S&M stuff in there. Really? Like, yeah, I thought that was... I've, I've noticed that. A lot of whipping of bare flesh. and Oh. But, you know, lurid, but that's it, painting but, a lurid tableau of a dark pagan age and, you know, people of corroded morals acting like po- people of corroded morals. So, you know, when you characterize them as such, uh, he did not shy away... But he also didn't wildly overindulge. This did not turn into like, you know, oh, wow, 82 pages of that. You know, no. Yeah, graphic. He uh, really mastered cutting everything to the bone and getting, you know, like I've got exactly as many words in here as I need to get this image across. And then I'm out. Well, yeah, and also that in the editors in the time. But more importantly, I think that is kind of like the limit that you can go to. If you go any far beyond that, okay, if you want to, that's fine. But uh, I think that only a few people at the table are going to enjoy it, the ones who are actively engaged, and the rest of the people are just going to have to be sitting there and imagining what else they could be doing tonight. So you want to avoid in using sex as a primary motivator, but it's definitely going to be there. When romance blossoms, it is eventually going to lead to a physical love. And just like in the five forms of horror, there's five forms of romance and eroticism going all the way from chase love all the way to puerile pornography. And you definitely don't want to delve into that last one. Just like going into the uh, grotesque of a gore film, you can get really lurid, but... Uh, There are entrails hanging from the closet door, you know. No, place coated in gore, you know. Yeah, you can go overboard on it, but just a little bit. Now, obviously, if you run into a coven of succubi, you're obviously going to run into... A deeper level of sexual or graphic sexual content. So one of the, this is one of the things where I'm going to take a sidestep here and talk about one of the things of not doing. First of all, the charm spell and dominate person spell are in the game. Some people say that they're they take uh, player agency away, and I'm kind of like, okay, so does stone to flesh. So should we remove all spells that take away player agency? <laughs> but I can understand their point. Yeah, certainly. Uh, fireballs of relative strength can do that, too. <laughs> yeah, you're dead. Um, but do you take away charm spells simply because uh, somebody uses them? Ragnar the Hash Brown uh, does not get an attack roll this round. No, he doesn't. <laughs> but they can carry his cinder and honor his memory. Yeah. Yeah, he's already cremated, so you have to skip the Viking boat. Yeah, you know. it's a risk. It's a tool in the toolbox. But I you don't want to use it. This is where it goes wrong. Okay, to use it like the succubus has enchanted you and now enthralled you with her sensual dark beauty, 
you are now her slave. And she's not, she, under the auspices of a charmed person, she can't force you to, obviously, or it, as a CQI uh, can be gender fluid in the incubus. It, yeah. Uh, it is a creature on its own, but uh, the succubus can pose as male for no other reason than that that's what its target's interests are. Uh, an incubus probably goes for females, but that's a different thing. Um, more importantly, that when they have their uh, charm on, you don't want to force the players into too much, but some DMs take that as meaning that because it's evil, I can do whatever I want with the player, and basically it turns into a form of rape fantasy and that's not fun for anybody to go yeah through. this is where i think you're right that that's where people's complaints about these powers come from you know like these uses of these spells uh a dm with poor taste uh could uh characterize the actions undertaken by the charmed character in a way that are really offensive uh, yeah charm know, just, just going for the kill like i'm gonna make you feel terrible today that's no way to do it. Charm won't... Uh, Although, allow having you. a sense of humor about it and going, you know... <laughs> um, <laughs> your new best friend has convinced you that while she's in the middle of a firefight with your pals, the best thing for you to do at this moment would be to uh, tear off your armor, uh, clamber atop a fountain, and sing. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one, but Charm doesn't... Uh, give the succubus complete control. Dominate person does, and dominate person is can unwisely use can really ruin a character's uh, attachment or player's attachment to their character, or make them feel at the very least very awkward if you use it in, inappropriately. So yeah. well, and I mean that is you know, like that can be taken in a very dark direction because unlike charm which has clear limits on any hostile action taken against people who are already established friends or staying inside the boundaries of their alignment. You can trick a good person under a charm into doing something that might be objectionable or foolish, but you cannot make them act inherently awful. It's just not in their nature. Dominate, on the other hand, that's like puppet master territory, where, like, you know, they just... <laughs> Uh, <laughs> Brando's got us on our bellies and he's reaching for the butter dish. Uh, oh. You know, it's bad. Uh, it's going to be real bad. And when you have a player character who is that vulnerable, uh, be mindful of their feelings because it's already going to sting. Uh, part of that is going to suck. You're like, I would never stab my teammates. Well, of course not. But they totally would and they are riding you like a skin suit. Yeah, I think attacking teammates is not what we're really getting at here, but it's some but of the darker aspects it, that come off of the sexual nature of a succubus. And I think that if your players aren't ready for that, then maybe giving a succubus a pass is different. I, I would argue that the Aranese is a different creature because as a devil, they're less in, they're more like Lucy with the football. They're going to tempt you with it, but they're never going to deliver. And if they do, it's going to be awful for you. Yeah, remember that an Aranese is all about the infliction of pain. A succubus may be about corruption and, you know, like, slowly level-draining a person stupid. Yeah, but their propane gift is given through dark pleasure, and yeah. so now, that is their hold on you. Uh, the Aranyas is a, a far nastier... And crueler, yeah, and also, <clears throat> shall we just say, they are the aspects of fallen angels, and their purpose is to corrupt you completely without any... 
obligation on their part to do anything for you. The offer, the temptation is what they're all about. What yeah. you will do. Players dealing with extra planar powers uh, and being lured into temptation, well, uh, hats off to any DM who uses the foresight to plan some awful outcome. Yeah, and since they are shape changers and they can appear in different forms, they will use their wiles and the players' vices against them. And I think oh, that absolutely. is an important thing for a devil, whereas a demon's much more opportunistic. They're going to find ways to bring you in, whereas a devil is going to look for ways to make you do what they want by analyzing your weaknesses. Now, worth mentioning, and <laughs> this is a bad DM moment, uh, this is me in the narrow jacket with my cat. Okay. Uh, now, without necessarily doing more than alluding to sex and sexuality in-game, uh, you don't actually have an obligation to tell players up front that they're dealing with a demon and or devil. So if there is some kind of social setting into which a extraplanar creature of negative aspect has insinuated itself, uh, you know, they can be the Palpatine to your character as Vader. Using oh, yeah, that that's definitely where I was going with the Ernest. To lure a player character down the road uh, to making a you know terrible decision or even an alignment-altering decision, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, this is the... Uh, well, obviously, if you don't have a way available to nerf Detect Evil, uh, then this is problematic. Uh, but there are a number of spells and or uh, artifacts and or items. And class abilities that yeah, you can give them. That can make this a little more of a subtle process so that the players, you know, they, they should really be on their toes to pay attention for being asked to do something that is super unethical. But if their judgment's clouded by attraction, by the theoretical promise of reward, by their paramour, uh, you know, a classic you know, tale of deception and subterfuge with potentially horrific results. Uh, and it's yet another tool in the DM's arsenal. Have no shame about using it. Yeah, and I think that's the thing uh, where you can use, besides just as... We kind of got off track by talking about the charm spell, but before I could get to that, oh, Mike steered board. Well, yeah, but here's the point, is that you're not going to normally encounter a bunch of succubus just hanging out in a dungeon guarding a, a room full of treasure. You're, they're going to normally be doing succubus stuff, and on Aranese as well, going to be doing devil stuff. So they follow a per, pretty much a path of, according to their alignments, um, to what they feel uh, feels fulfills their masters and abyssal lords' needs. And so when they do that, they often approach it outside of a dungeon setting or combat. Of course, they can be found in those areas, and generally they will uh, fight, but normally flee because their succubus is not a combat monster per se. Uh, you can make them that way, but well, I digress. They're both smart in the sense that if they're wildly uh, outbalanced in power, uh, they will just yeah. And Aranes will tend to fight a little uh, more than a succubus. A succubus will just turn after all and run. Um, so they attract or attracted to powerful player characters especially those of great good, to corrupt them and tempt them into wrongdoing. And so there's another form of sex in D&D that often gets overlooked is rather than just being monsters, they are actual characters that can be encountered, especially for players who have 
vices or are very strongly virtued, they will attract creatures like that to try to sway them and tempt them. Good aligned clerics and paladins, we're looking at you. But yeah, it doesn't have to be played with the most puerile or sexual intent. It can be, uh, Sakibas can be just as uh, chaste and virtuous as a maiden in order to get closer and tempt. Yeah, to paraphrase uh, Seinfeld, sometimes it's okay to just yada, yada, yada the sex. And yeah. Yada, yada, yada. You can't yada, yada, yada. So yeah, when you do get to these things, uh, sexual tension uh, outside of combat can be uh, played out through some monsters. Rather than just using them as uh, puerile fantasies, you can actually use them in ways to derail player characters from their virtuous pursuits. But also, as you get into other player characters or NPCs getting together, there's the fade to black moment. So finally, after a long series of episodes of courting and flirting and rebuffing and all that sort of thing, the payoff comes, and so the clothes come off, there's a passionate kiss, and it's fade to black. Use your imagination. And that's probably the best way to yeah, end a romantic encounter. Especially with mixed groups, because... Uh, so very often uh, these days, a group of players have a variety of ages. And like I've encountered exactly that scenario where uh, the occupants of the table with me were between the ages of 14 and 55. You know, just that wide of a gap in age. Uh, and everywhere in between. Uh, plus people of differing uh, sexual preference, orientation, identity, I just, like, everything was on the table, and I didn't find it difficult. I, I found it novel. I found it challenging at times, but uh, I, I worked hard to exercise good taste, and uh, I kept things at the lowest common denominator, like it, it on general principle because there was at least one set of ears at the table that you know, like I didn't want to scald with any super coarse descriptions of anything. Uh, but it wasn't an unmanageable experience and it was certainly a great learning experience. Yeah, and having um, romance camp. and sexual encounters in your campaign, as long as they're not taken to the extremes and also having to look at your table, you want to use the probably the person with the lowest age as basically your barometer. That's where you're going to set it, like the Princess Bride level. And if you have a bunch of mature seasoned uh, gamers at your table, you're probably going to be able to go a little bit further with it. But you can't go too far in any case because really all you're doing is eating up time of the other players who came to do other things. There's plenty of time to center stage for each player. Sexual encounters do tend to run long in the tooth because the player tends to project a little bit into it. And then once that kind of intimacy is achieved, it can get a little uh, cringy for some of the other players, to say the least. But it also takes away from the DM's focus from the overall campaign. Sure, there's plenty of time to flirt and uh, be attracted to members of your preferred gender, but there's also time... For that to be taken into consideration and over a period of time in a campaign, especially for important NPCs or player character relationships, it can be encouraged to continue throughout the campaign so it's just not all at once or too little. And that's achieving a good balance and knowing where your players' interests lie. And let your players be your barometer. Don't inflict anything on them. Oh, yeah. Uh, obviously, 
you know, read the room. Uh, mm -hmm. But I, but I was going to side note that like every NPC, and once again, this is me in the narrow jacket. Every NPC that has value in the story uh, or in the campaign to your players is a point of weakness to be exploited by the ruthless DM at every opportunity. No, all right, maybe maybe not like riff on it every time. You're like, dude, my character got married. And now, I, literally, this is my third mission, rescuing my kidnapped bride. Dude! <laughs> All right, so it can be overdone, can be heavy-handed. But uh, more than once, I have tied characters' backstories, uh, their families, and their relationships into adventures. Uh, because it's a point of connection to the player. And yeah, it's more I than just like this valuable. NPC is going to pay you some gold or give you a nice little magic item or a title if you do what they ask. And it helps build a campaign. And it's also, I kind of look at it, I was impressed initially by some of the Dragon Age games that, you know, they allowed romantic and erotic relationships to just manifest, but they took a period of time. And I think that's a good gauge to go with. That doing it a little bit at a time gives a, keeps people interested in feeling like there's something there. Maybe I can, you know, I think she likes me, or I think they, he likes me. You know, that helps build to the next time that they meet and keep the adventure flowing, but always keep them involved in the campaign, even if peripherally, because that builds a relationship that can be utilized later on, much like Mike says, sometimes ruthlessly, sometimes <laughs> uh, casually, and sometimes <laughs> just, uh, just I'm flirtatiously. Like, oh, I want to see the uh, keeper of the Red Lantern brothel. I think she's got a sweet on for me. Yes, she does, because you have platinum. <laughs> and the, the boss at the uh, uh, tea house of the August moon. Uh, I think the bouncer at the uh, rabid tiger also likes you, too. <laughs> He's making eyes at you. <laughs> uh, He's yeah. asking to join him in the oil uh, bear pit. Yeah, jeez. Pass. Hard pass. Uh no, and another nod to uh, Phil Folio. Uh, it's uh, Sizzle and Sue over at the uh, Velvet Fist. <laughs> oh, yeah. For your space uh, brothel. Uh, from the uh, classic Phil Folio comic, Buck Godot. Uh, hmm. Terrific. Yeah, Buck Godot, zap gun for hire. So Wonderful cheek, tongue-in-cheek view of science fiction. So just to uh, summarize here as we start to close it up, you can use it in various ways. You can have it as primarily a quest or as a reward for a quest. You can have romance blossom spontaneously just from the description of an NPC. And you can also have uh, monsters as uh, paramours or even uh, as adversaries of a sexual nature in your games. Yeah, having that sense of competition and sexual tension between a you know serious extra planar, non-human opponent, uh, where there's frustrated attraction, like, you know, they finally get the players on the ropes and let the players go, but take the money and go, if I didn't like you this much, I'd just kill you right now. Or a Red Manus Assassin Pathfinder, yeah. that can be another one uh, there. You know, having those kind of awkward yet fun moments, uh, it adds a little something. It's not to be ignored. It's not to be poo-pooed or thrown out completely. Yeah. Um, dismissing it entirely, I mean, if that's your, if that's the option, sometimes you're working with younger players. It's and sometimes the safest bet. 
you know, it's always the default to just kind of steer away from it, but read your table. And if your players are willing to engage with it, well, then go for it. And it doesn't matter the genre or the game. It all is still the same. It's a human relationship, and it's building trust and affection for one another, or even just simple mutual attraction. But um, I think that pretty much covers it. Yeah, well, I think we hit the high notes. Uh, and some of the low notes. Oh, <laughs> Uh, nothing too below the belt. Come on. No, no. It's no. just, it's really, it's a hard topic for a lot of people to tackle because... That's what she said. Yeah. <laughs> but it's also because it's awkward. And, you know, humor is a nice way of deflecting to it, but not everybody feels comfortable with it. And if you don't feel comfortable with it, don't do it. Yeah. Uh, that is, like, just the constant fallback is that read the room. Uh, know your players. Have a strong sense of what people are comfortable with. Uh, because severe individual discomfort or awkwardness is not the thing that a DM should be aiming to inflict. Uh, I mean, other than in terms of hit points of damage. I'm, I'm really uncomfortable with exactly how many dice you're rolling for that fireball total. Um, I have been super uncomfortable because you keep rolling them, and it's not over yet. What level was that mage? Uh, yeah, um, that's the kind of discomfort that we come to the game table to experience. Uh, not, uh, you know, Freddy got fingered. Okay, uh, I don't want to play my paladin anymore. You still love your paladin. I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> Sorry. Right, yeah, you know, there, there you go. You just Some things you can't erase from a character, character sheet. sheet. Nope. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that's going to do it for us. So thanks for listening in. We hope you enjoyed it. And again, if you have any comments or questions, and you probably have many, many questions, but we'll... We'll try our best to answer them, either on our Facebook page, or you can get a hold of us directly on Twitter, me at Death Hand Gaming. And myself at Magi Box. Yeah, get a hold of us directly there, we'll get a hold of you. Or, you can download it at Anchor app, and you can leave us a voice message, and we'll put you on the show, and we'll talk about what you put in. So, hopefully you can do that, or we'll just hear from you soon. So, you all take care, and remember, may, may the, the dice always roll in your favor. favor. We're out. See ya. Thank you.